bringing your whole self to work doesn't help you work. I'm Margaret Kelsey. I am Devin Bramhall. And this is Don't Say Content, created and produced in partnership with Share Your Genius. Huge shout out to our producers at Share Your Genius. Thank you so much. Thank you for believing in us early on, supporting and making this podcast come to life. And if you, dear listeners, are thinking about bringing an idea or your brand to life and scaling it, I'd recommend having a quick little convo with our favorite people at Share Your Genius. Are you bringing your full self to this podcast today? No, I'm not. Yeah. And thank God. Do we ever bring our full selves to anything? Let's talk about it. Yeah. Am I bringing? You know what the what stresses me out about this I, this concept? I don't even know what my whole self is. Yeah. I am so multifaceted. And that is actually my whole self can never be seen in one place at one time because I contain multitudes. Yeah. And when you encounter people in the world, do you want to know all of their multitudes? Depends how much I like them. <laughs> like outside of friends? No. I want, I don't know. I don't know what I want. But no, I don't think I want to see everyone's mess all of the time. I want like a middle of the road. I want to see the middle of people most yeah. of the time. Like, I feel like Donald Trump is a button. good example of who, like, brought his whole self to the world. Who? I genuinely, Donald Trump. Oh, no, don't I, bring Trump I know, into them. I think this is a good example. He, unfortunately, brings his whole self to work, and it's chaos and yeah. violence. Mm. So, like, I want to put him up as the hero of this movie and say, this is what it can, what it looks like. Oh, yeah. Do you want that at work? No. No. Okay. So can we talk about sort of like the foundations of it? Yeah. Caveat, I don't know everything. This, this is one of those things that's so complicated, oddly. Like yeah. it's been, it's been described in so many different ways that I cannot claim to know everything about it. Well, and I think this is, these are the topics that I think you and I I think we have the most productive conversations around is when there is not a shared definition of a word and when the word has been used and misused and overused and, and used for different things. And then people can't get to any agreement because they're just arguing about the word that they have different meanings for and never can get to the point of actually agreeing upon a shared definition of the word. And so I think that this is an interesting one where I think the shared definition that we're going to talk about is so complicated because human beings are so complex. So yeah. there's a different layer where I feel like normally these conversations are super fruitful because we can get to a shared definition of the word. I think that today we might even just talk about this a bunch and, and just understand that human beings are complex we're taking a cue from last week's episode in which it's not about answering. We're not going to tie it up. <laughs> no, there's no bows here. Yeah, there's no, no bows. bows. But okay, letting people bring their unique ideas and perspectives to a company and truly listening and considering them and experimenting with them along all the other ideas that are coming up, this leads to company transformation. That's important. Like that part 
oh my God, I'm going to say something that's probably going to get me in trouble. Like, oh, like bring your fears and your dreams and your desire. I'm like, please don't. You are going to probably get in trouble for that one, but that's okay. I think, so the thing that rubs me the wrong way about this is it's putting the ownership on the wrong party. If this was companies make safe spaces for lots of different types of people, movement, I would get behind that. It's not. It's bring your full self to work. And that is the impetus that every single person should show up with more, I don't know, bravery to show up in the way that is different than the societal expectation or your cultural expectation at work. And so often that is not, in fact, a safe space to do that in. So what we're doing is arming people not arming people, but what we're doing is we're um, encouraging people to be risky in a way that I think is not actually like we haven't done the work of, of getting these organizations to accept different types of people, different types of thought process, different types of backgrounds. So to me, it's like, yeah, bring your whole self to work. I'm like, oh, God, don't <laughs> like as an employee. It's a trap. I, I love it. <laughs> As And I'm guilty of bringing more of myself to work than is necessary. I think also I was reading something. I keep going to say this. I was reading something somewhere where they talked about bringing your whole self to work. And they brought it up an interesting point, which is it's a cheap benefit. It's something that companies don't really have to pay for. Mm-hmm. So it's a way of giving a benefit without really investing in the same way. So like it's cheaper than than a raise, right? And then this whole idea too of how it's not available to the majority of the workforce because the majority of the workforce are working in assembly line or customer service or whatever. Like customer service people can't. Their job yeah. is to perform. And so I think also one of the many tech evangelized you know, privileged concepts is something that is unachievable for the majority of people, at least in America. And so I'm like, it is inherently elite, which is what I was saying about the before in a less polite way. But this is an interesting thing, Devin. I think you, you are incapable of not being yourself, right? Is that a fair assessment? I will respond once I hear what you mean by (laughs) that. Because I, I do, I'm curious, like, because this goes back to the question, what yeah. does bringing your whole self mean to each person? So when you say I'm incapable of not being myself, yeah, what is that? How does that show up for you? I feel like you are very in touch and in tune with how you're feeling and how you're processing things. And you're, you show up in a way that is open and honest about like where you're at at any given point, you share with me energy levels, you share with me your thoughts, your fears. And while this podcast is not a work environment in in some regards, in some regards it is, I would imagine that that bleeds over to the type of leader and and colleague that you are, which is that you're pretty transparent in in where you're at. Um, I also think that you're creative and you have interests and things like that that you're you freely share you don't like hide away the weird bits of you you're not telling people to not be themselves at work right no yeah no what you see at work from me is 
a version of myself that shows you all my uniqueness. But at work, especially leading a company, it was performed transparency. Hmm. Anytime I was being transparent, it was true, completely honest. But it was a choice. It was strategic. Mm -hmm. Because if I were to bring my whole self to work and lead a company, it would have been chaos. Like there were days where I had to record videos for the team about some disaster that happened because there were constant external disasters, for example, that started to really wear me down. And I would have to stand up in front of them when I absolutely did not feel okay. And I smiled and I was calm and I was encouraging. And there were times growing up in my career, even in like management positions where I brought emotions and it's never felt made me personally feel good. It's rarely had a positive impact on the people around me and didn't elicit the kind of support or whatever I actually needed. And so we used to talk about crying in front of our bosses, you know, like it inevitably happened. Like me and Liz and Lauren would get together for like wine and fries night. And anytime it happened, we were mortified. Mm. And it's not necessarily because the leader made us feel that way. Because we felt we let ourselves down. Because I don't want to fucking cry at work. Yeah. I think the most challenging part for me with this specifically was, I mean, there's been many challenges. And I failed to your point of like bringing emotion. And okay, there's two stories here. The first is that um, I have failed at this several times and accidentally created a culture where my team is very bonded, but they feel like there is an other, an enemy within the company, whether that is a different team or whatever, because I am very open and honest about my frustrations of what's not working to the point where I have built a very incredible high-performing team around me, but like there is this feeling of, and we are other or against some other piece of the company, which is not useful. Um, I've done a lot of self-reflection on that and, and hopefully I'm a better leader now and, and have had another chance to do it in a way that didn't feel like that. But I think that was, that was a, a very big challenge for me and a, and a learning as a leader as like, I can't do that. And while it was great to have a team around me that we all felt very bonded and whatnot, like bonding around an other and an enemy is, is less useful. Yeah. Just a really quick thing. It sounds like what you're talking about is a level of emotional boundaries. Yeah. And those boundaries, when Tara Mikichi came into animals, she was really good at speaking clearly, you know, being firm, but empathetic and setting boundaries and the amount that of immediate like trust and productivity and you know people really understood their role better mm. and i didn't i i wished i'd brought her in sooner to demonstrate that for me because i was too emotional and it did create that other thing so just plus wanting you on that yeah it is a challenging thing as I think our generation rises in leadership where we do want to be open. We want to be empathetic. We want consensus on our team. We really want to do that EQ work. It was hard for me to understand that part of leadership is that 
taking stuff on the chin, turning around to your team and saying, everything's fine. I believe in this company. I believe in this team. This is the right decision. It's not useful for your team to hear that you don't believe in the decision, that the direction is that you're marching in. And that was the boundaries that I crossed was I, I treated my team as friends rather than me as the leader. And the leader needs to sometimes disagree and commit and then not show their team that they ever disagreed. I was just talking to Joey about this for her new podcast, Good mm. Boss, Bad Boss. And we had slightly different points of view at first, but I think we sort of came together. We were talking about how we had both done that as managers at one time. and how we thought it was right to get alignment with our team, align more with them than the decision that was being made from above. But as a leader, it was, it never worked. It, it didn't, it didn't help me at all. And so I, I've both deployed it when I was a manager and experienced it as a CEO and it doesn't work. <laughs> it's not yeah. good. Yeah. On the other side, though, if you deeply morally disagree with something, like, I think we should just get the outliers out. Like, if yeah. it's deeply wrong and bad or, like, deeply immoral or abusive, right? Like, let's... We're well, then you disagree the and you leave, right? right? Like, you can't disagree and commit with something that is outside of your values for right. too long or else you will emotionally pay for it yourself as well. Right. If you like, continue talking- to disagree and commit with decisions that are outside of your value system you will burn yourself out and get depressed and there'll be other physical and emotional changes in your life to the point where you will be so miserable that will, something will have to give. Yeah. I think, or else you numb your yourself for the rest of your life. And that's a different story. Yeah. Like I'm just sort of establishing that we're talking in like the realm of things you might disagree with that don't harm yourself or anyone yes. else. Yeah. Atrefs taught me SEO. It was our infrastructure at Animals. Yeah. Like that was part of our like tech stack and everybody at the company used it. And I just remember growing up at startups and nobody was ever there to teach you your job. And you had to learn a lot along the way. Help Scout was where I really had to get my shit together with SEO strategy. And I was like, what do I do? And one of our growth marketers walked me through Ahrefs. The UI looks like it's a lot, but then you go and start using it and it's like all logic. It's all logic. Like it's all marketing logic, the way it works. And so you're kind of like, oh, you're just like giving me all the answers. And it's also the fact, the reason that I feel like it feels like that is because it is so powerful. Like you literally have access to information that I had no idea that I could actually access. Competitors, keywords, how they're ranking, like absolutely powerful stuff in order to understand how your content and brand programs are. So Ahrefs, thank you so much for not only a fantastic product, but also sponsoring season two. Yes. And also helping me achieve my first big objective at Help Scout. It was pretty important and aggressive and it kept me in my job a little bit longer. So So thank you for Devin's salary back then. Ahrefs. Don't say Ahrefs. Say don't say Ahrefs. Don't say Ahrefs. Say Ahrefs. 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 
My other story about bringing full self to work was how challenging it was to be a new mom in the pandemic with a full-time job without consistent childcare. Like I had a baby March 29th, 2020, like literally beginning of pandemic. And then all of the daycares were closed when I was even coming back from my maternity leave. And so we cobbled together. We were living in the city, didn't have enough space to have like a nanny or, or a babysitter come in. And I, we cobbled together between a couple different sources and going out to my in-laws and, and we tried to make it work. But what it was, was I had a three month old with me around me the entire time that I was trying to have a normal work day. And I did not know how to bring my full self to work because if I was working, I was not being a good mother. And when I was being a good mother, I was not being a good employee. And so the idea of bringing your full self to work, like they did not need me taking care of a three month old to be at work. Like that wasn't useful. And OpenView was really generous, right? Like everyone was being really understanding at the time. And like, I did not feel like, I want to be clear, I didn't feel pressured by them to do things. I didn't feel like they were giving me nothing but grace, but I was unable to relax about it. And it was so challenging to be like, do I join this call with a baby strapped to me and take the call? Do I cancel the call and move it to some other time that I literally don't know when this is going to get better? Do I like I there was just no right answer. And I know that that's a specific period of time where like just nobody had the right answer. But that was one where I was like, it's not fair for OpenView to bring my full self to work right now because this is not helpful, right? Does the other person on the other line need to know that, you know, if my camera's off, it's because Everett's attached to me. Like it was just not useful sometimes to let people into the level of chaos that I was experiencing because then they would, if they feel bad for me, they're not going to treat me like the capable person and have the capable conversation that I want them to have with me in that work environment, right? Like coming into the conversation, feeling bad for me does not enable me to have the strategic conversation that I needed to have in order yeah. to move the work ahead. What you're saying is bringing your whole self to work doesn't help you work. I've had an experience where bringing more intimate parts of myself to work in terms of uh, sharing what experience I was having worked was used against me. And so I think that if I were someone at a company, I would strategically not because the more you you more you give, the more leverage the people around you have and you don't know whether everybody else is doing it. And I know that sounds like suspicious and like paranoid, but I really think there have been times in my life where I were going through I was going through things in my personal life and work became a refuge for me. Yeah. And I think that's why for me at least I like the separation where I can actually perform a different self and then trick myself into feeling it for 8 hours. I don't know. I think that part of it is really helpful and also I think what it also doesn't take into account is that not everybody wants to. There's a lot of talk about like introverts versus ext extroverts. And I think it's a useful like 
framework example where for some people, they feel comfort in keeping things, you know, certain things private. Like that's how they feel more energized and safe interacting in the world. And so if there's a culture where you feel like you have to share everything and people, you know, you feel pressure to, it's like, that's not going to feel good either. Yeah. And and the flip side of that too is, what if not everyone there wants you to bring your whole self? (laughs) Like I've got a long ass day with tons of stuff to do. Do I want someone else crying at me at work? No, go fix your shit. We're adults. We're getting paid to do a job that has nothing to do with me dealing with your emotions. Please sort it out. So this is, I think this is the interesting thing about remote work too, is I am pretty empathetic, can read energy pretty well. And in an office, I was very distracted by people's emotional states. And in remote work, it's nice because most people can show up to a call and pretend for 30 minutes. And I was able to, in the remote work, really separate that like empathetic energy absorption where in an office, somebody walks by and I'm like, "Mm, it's not the way that they usually walk. They're just, their steps are a little different. I wonder if I should go ask them how they're doing. Or, you know, you kind of read a little body language in a meeting and you're like, they're they're kind of feeling sad or they're a little quieter. I can see them looking down at their phone more often. Like there is a certain level of remote work that that allows very like energy absorption, empathetic people to do more effective work because they don't get bogged down in all of that. That being said, there are those situations where when I was managing folks, when they were going through something emotional, emotional. A, a death in their life, a breakup or whatever, it was really helpful for me to understand because their quality of work was in a different place. And I understood the reason why rather than if I didn't know something was going on, I would just be like, they're fucking up. Maybe they I should be put on a different. performance plan. That's different to me. Major yeah. life events, like you were just talking about having a child while working. Like there are certain life events that will come into the workplace and that doesn't mean bringing your whole self to work. That's just part of the way life works. It will impact your job sometimes. And it's your, I consider it part of your job to bring that up and work with your company to give yourself the space, right? So you can really deal with whatever it is. So like that, that to me is different. Major life of, again, taking all the extremes out that are clearly, obviously not, right? Well, we got to state the obvious, right? I think you do have to state the obvious because people yeah. could, you know, I don't want people to listen to this and be like, oh, I, I shouldn't or can't share with my manager that something tragic happened. And then like their manager is like, oh, well, you're not doing a good job. And be like, oh, well, I shouldn't have shared oh, my, yeah. not, and I don't, again, nobody should take anything in these podcasts probably as advice, but they're conversations. It's not advice. I did have an employee, I mean, this happened multiple times, but one that stands out was her dog was brutally attacked, like brutally on the brink of death. And she reported to me, it was when I was a CEO and she was an executive. And I said, please take all the time you need. I'll support you. Like that was a moment where I was grateful that she shared because it's a huge major life event. Yeah. I ended up texting with her all weekend to see how her dog was doing like it was traumatic. I actually brought it up with her more than once to see how she was doing because the trauma isn't just that the dog lived. 
but it was horrific. And I was concerned about her mental health experiencing a trauma like that in addition to the actual thing that happened. Again, I think that's a different, that's a different thing. And, and that feels to me more like leadership style mm. than, because if I were another leader, I could have also served her by being like, I understand, take whatever time you need and not invest it anymore. And she probably still would have felt supported. Hey, Devin, do you know what the best part about our show is? <gasps> Tell me. We make so many new best friends that hang out with us every week. It's kind of weird that we don't see them hanging out with us every week, but we really, really appreciate the folks that do. And so if you want to be in our lives and us in your ears on a weekly basis, I want you to go and find that subscribe button wherever you are listening to this podcast and let's be friends forever. And please rate and review because it really helps support the show. We love you bunches. This whole thing around layoffs and how layoffs or firing is, layoffs specifically, I guess right now is where I'm hearing it. Like layoffs are not people first. Mm. And I don't believe that that's true. What do you think about that? I think businesses are businesses with business goals, financial goals. And we are all adults that have to make our own financial decisions too. And I think that the more that we can understand and put these things in business context where it's like there is a job market the same way that like your company is bringing a product to market, your career is part of a marketplace and that marketplace will wax and wane and you will have different values at different periods of time based on market conditions, the more that we can actually just like really soberly understand that without a lot of emotionality attached to it, the more that we can weather that storm. This whole like idea that like companies and teams are families becomes really fucked up, right? And I think that people first thing can sometimes drip a little bit into we're a family, right? We're all together. There's this feeling and I'm all for feeling belonging to a team, but I think it's more of like a sports team than it is a, yeah. Cause like you can get traded and then you have to wear a different logo and different colors and you're part of a different, you know, or you can leave, you can leave for more money somewhere else. Exactly. You're free agent. You go get, I don't know how this works, but sports stuff. But like, I think that that's a more appropriate analogy. I think that that family thing, when people really start to believe it, then they're like, how could my family abandon me? Just so ridiculous. I'm like, you have a contract that binds you and that's it. And I also think- It that, doesn't like, even bind you. It's like, right. I mean, most states are, are what is it? At will. At will. Yeah. Also, it's interesting to me that idea that companies are supposed to be loyal, but employees are not expected to be loyal. And so it's like they can leave and somehow they're not a part of the people first movement, even when they screw their coworkers on the way out. And I saw that multiple times, people leaving in the most inconsiderate way and putting it all on the company. Meanwhile, their colleagues are like put in a tough spot, but somehow don't, they're like, oh, this person's fine. I think that is another thing where it's like, okay, can't we just all 
be in it for ourselves. You know, that's a good but it's a good it's a good boundary, which is I take care of myself. Right. And I I think that was that was hard for me as a manager. It was funny. I was actually um, <laughs> it's somebody that we know that I'm not going to name drop right now, but I I delivered an offer to somebody that I knew that they shouldn't take because I knew that they had a competing offer with more, with more money, but I didn't have more money to give this person. And I was talking to somebody about it and I was like, why? I don't even want to give this offer. I don't even want to like, I don't want to do it. It's not a financially good decision for this person to make if they take this offer. And the person I was talking to coached me and being like, you don't make their financial decisions. It is not your responsibility. And it sounds like such a silly boundary. But for me as a manager too, like when I had to do both performance layoffs, performance firing, and also was adjacent and witness to like monetary layoffs or budget layoffs, it's not my responsibility to know and be responsible for that person's financial decisions and financial health and financial plans, right? Like the best I can do is make sure that if I'm hiring somebody, I'm giving them the best package, the most fair package that is also the package that the business is willing to allocate to this position. But it's not my job to to be responsible for their finances, including when you have to hire or fire them. Yeah. I mean, look, there's so much to this. Like first and foremost, even the like benefits and the stuff that the company is doing, and no matter how many people claim it's part of some mission, which there's a few I'm sure that are, they're doing it for the company. They're helping you to benefit the company. So it's fundamentally a monetary decision. They're trying to retain top talent, which is good for the company's goals. (laughs) So then there's always, there's also the sense that like layoffs are fundamentally sinister, which I'm sure they are in some cases. But if your company whether the company has made decisions that led to needing to do layoffs or they encountered something that required them to do layoffs. In both cases, to me, that's fundamentally people first because if there's no company, no one gets a job. And so sometimes you have to make hard decisions that allows you to keep the majority employed. Again, leaving out the clearly, obviously sinister, crazy ones from that scenario. and also. Even if a company makes a mistake, it doesn't mean they're morally wrong and bad. There's this whole thing around, you know, the overspending and whatever in 2021. But it's also like, did any of you know that this was going to go south? Yeah, nobody could. I mean, if nobody across the board did, then like, let's all calm down about it. Right. And it's like, again, there's a lot of nuance to that. So I'm not like. It's by no means a blanket statement of every company and every person during that period. But I do think that like this still goes back to what we've talked about around the breakdown between executives and teams, because even the transparent ones cannot share everything they know, even if it benefits them to tell you. Yeah, because I mean, if you're a public company, I, I don't even know all the rules around what you can say. If you're a private company and they don't have the full context and you can't give the full context because it will create chaos, violate someone's privacy, et cetera, you can't tell them. And so it goes back to this whole thing around trust. It's like, do you trust your company or leaders to fulfill their 
promise that was written in the contract for you. And if you can't, you should either leave or if you question it, be clever and start strategizing within the, you know, that's where you get into sort of like corporate strategy around getting raises and promotions and all that stuff, you know? It's like part of, sometimes part of rectifying the company and making it better for everyone who still works there is by firing people. I did not fire enough people along the way. And every, I worked really hard to like make them like us. And it made them hate us and me more and made them leave dramatically. And they left a huge mess behind. A smarter decision would have been, bye. And taking the short-term hit for the long-term benefit of the company, right? Yeah. And this is, I mean, this is one when we were talking about like, how do I feel about layoffs and firings? I think that it is the kindest thing that you can do for somebody that's not working out is to fire them as quickly as possible. The moment that you have to grapple with the idea of whether or not you should fire that person, you've probably waited too long to fire that person. And it is unfair to your top performers to see an underperformer still employed at the company. And what you are doing by trying to be kind and people first to that underperformer is you are telling your overperformers that their hard work doesn't matter and that they can still be employed if they sit back and rest on their laurels. And I have been burnt out at jobs because there has been management who has been unwilling to fire people that needed to be fired. And so I lost all motivation to show up and overachieve. Yeah, I'm like looking at folks, I'm like, oh, if you can just sit back and rest on your laurels and fuck up and still be employed, like what am I doing over here trying to strive and achieve and all those things? And so I have both been a participant of burnout through mismanagement like that and also have then had to make tough calls to let people go And probably waited too late, too, even though I felt like I was being pretty proactive with it because it's just such like that rot. Like, I will call it a rot like somebody. And and again, we're not talking about pervade throughout the company. Like, that's what I think is like that. You know, one thing can spoil the batch. Yeah, yeah, the bad apple absolutely happens. Yeah. Like, I've seen it multiple times. Yeah. You get the one strawberry in your strawberry container. And if you don't get that one out. It just the next day, your whole strawberry container is moldy. And I know we always talk about apples, but I think it happens quicker with strawberries, to be honest. Apples are great. And I totally agree. To me, the performance improvement plan is like, it's more torture than effective because by the time you're putting someone on a performance improvement plan, you've already tried everything to make them successful. And it feels to me like putting them on the spot. Oh my God, it's a complete legal, it's just only for the legal team to cover their ass. No, I understand that. It's not useful, a useful management practice at all. I hate that I had to do it in order for us to be like people first and compliant. We had to do something that I fundamentally didn't believe was people first to the point that I found it harmful to them. And I hated it and I had to do it. I've been in an organization that did that opposite, that did that really well. When they let somebody go because of performance reasons, they would keep them on the website until they found a new job or for a specific period of time. They would sometimes even let them have access to their email so they could email, 
you know, back and forth with their work email, knowing that it is easier for somebody who is employed to find a new job than it is to have somebody um, that's unemployed. Um, and even, you know, a, a generous severance. And I think there is a people first way to do that, but it is making sure that you can also give that confidence to your internal team that like, hey, when this doesn't work out, we will treat you very nicely because it's definitely on the business too. Like if you made a mishire, like you took that person out of the job market where they could have found a better job for them, right? It's like so hard because you're like, this is who I want to be as a company, regardless of the situation that I'm currently in and the pain that it's causing me. You know, it's I was trying to find a version of like what's right then or what feels true to me. And it's funny because I was surprised where I found signals that I agreed with and where I didn't. So I like I got into some random ink article. I know, like the most Paper surface play. level, the most surface level, but they had like three things that are like very basic, but felt more accurate to me, surprisingly. So it was like empower employees to be leaders in their roles, listen closely to your people and live your values, live your company values mm -hmm. and hire well. And I don't think that though that's all I don't necessarily like I'm not saying that that's the one those are the ones. It's just the framework of those ones are less specific and more that's more applicable to an organization. Yeah. Right. And I think that that like that I liked versus um, I went to uh, Wild Bits People First Companies site. Because they were really thoughtful about this. And I believe in them as business owners and founders and people. But man, there was this, some things on there. I was like, it felt like in order to meet their criteria, hmm. I had to run a company that didn't reflect my beliefs around running hmm. a people first company. Well, there was something at the top. It said, people don't thrive from happy hours, ping pong tables or perks. People thrive when they are supported by their team to do meaningful work and find harmony between their career and personal lives. The second part, I was like, yeah, right? That's great. I do think it takes a little bit of the onus on off them too much, but like fundamentally, I'm like, yeah, cool. But the whole thing on like people don't thrive on ping pong tables and stuff, like I get what they're saying because tech had too many perks and not enough good leaders. Mm -hmm. But also like that, that play is very important to me at work. And so, and so does socialization for those who feel comfortable socializing and creating a space for that for people who want it. So I actually, that was just like a, the sort of headline, but then there was something around deep work, asynchronous com conversations that assumes that like, that that's the right way to work. Yeah. And I don't think they're saying like, oh, Deep work is the most important thing, but I thrive on collaboration. That work for me, like, I need collaboration and deep work. So mm -hmm. again, and I don't, look, I don't say, I love them. So like, I'm bringing this up as a way to surface my own thoughts and reactions. I'm not criticizing this because mm -hmm. everyone's, in my view, everyone's allowed to have their own de definition because there is no foundational definition of this concept. Yeah. So it's not that I think it's wrong or bad. I just didn't. It's not organic to me at all. And that's not the culture that I would want to build. I would want to build one that's, you know, collaborative and left space for deep work. Yeah. And I also don't think that remote first 
is a company that I would, because I led a remote company and I worked at a remote company and I found both experiences to be lacking. So this is funny. I agree with you that remote is not for everyone. And I think watching remote work go from when I was at Envision before remote work was even really established as a thing. Like it was even, I joined pre like pre Slack being a product. I got like 30 Skype email addresses my first day at Envision. And like that was how we remoted. And through that experience, I saw really talented people join Envision that were great at their career, great at their job, that was not able to make it in a remote setting and then would quit remote and, and go back in person and, and do a fantastic job. Like nothing about their skill set was wrong, except for like they just did not do remote work well. I also built such strong relationships with the folks on my team that I literally have a standing weekly call with Kristen Hillary and Andy Horso from Envision, like literally have met Andy in person maybe once, maybe twice, and like have known him now for nine years. So it is possible to create deep, meaningful connections in a remote setting. It is also very possible that like remote work is not for you. And I think the most challenging thing that happened with COVID is everyone had to be remote, regardless of whether or not you were good at it. And it almost was a band-aid to not have to ask, is this the right decision for my company? Is this the right decision for me as an employee? Is this the right work environment for me? And the worst thing that's happening now, I think, is this hybridization model where some people are in office, some people aren't, some people are remote, some people are meeting in person. Like that to me is actually a worse culture than we're all in the office or we're all not in the office because it makes remote work a second class citizen where you're not bumping into each other. You're not having those organic conversations in the hallway. You're not building that camaraderie. And the company is not incentivized to make it a remote first experience where then just some people meet up sometimes. And so to me, it's like this, this messy middle bit is worse than like, oh, either companies are remote or not. Yeah. I mean, look, we're definitely not there. We're not definitely not at whatever the desired future state is. I think the heroization of remote work recently is more divisive to me, like in my mind, than it was just with companies as, you know, going into work as table stakes. Because it's assuming that going to companies is bad, right? In that narrative contains a lot of sort of judgment. And I don't like that. And And I don't don't think that remote work is the hero either. Because I've experienced it for the past over five years, six years. And it has pros and cons, just like being at work does. And I think it's like, you know, there are ways to make work feel remote, right? You can create pod. Like if you have like these places where people can be alone or whatever, I don't even actually want to solve the problem. All I'm saying is that like, it's not that being in an office is bad and it's not that remote work is good. Both have their challenges and it's somehow become this like moral argument. And I think that's really stupid because we're missing out on the real opportunity. Like I do like the idea of hybridization but not as the way it looks right now, because when people do go into the office, the biggest complaints that I'm hearing from lots of people is that no one's there. And so they're not getting what they need or the people who are there 
aren't the ones who like they collaborate with, there's no point. It still feels remote to them. Or leadership is asking everyone to come in. The junior employees come in, but then there's no leadership to actually build those relationships. And like, you know, the whole purpose of like, oh, you get to, you know, have those serendipitous conversations with folks that are one and two steps above you. So you're more seen and more available. It's like, I've seen that too, where it's just like the junior folks that come in and the senior folks are often wherever they are. And it's like, well, that doesn't work either. Well, it's like, stop trying to please everyone. In so many ways, all this boils down to is like, you can't please everyone. And so, like, make a decision that's fair and is aligned with your values and isn't harmful. Bring that to the hiring process. Say, this is our belief system. Thus, these are the ways that that show up. If you like that, great. If you don't, this might not be a work environment in which you thrive, even though you're probably qualified for the job itself. Yeah. And the market will tell you whether or not you're being unreasonable based on the quality of employee that's coming your way. Right. Like it is actually that's like the that's the fair market approach, which is put out your role, your job, your culture is a product and people on the other side, candidates are the purchasers of that product in some regard and can decide whether or not your product is appropriately priced, appropriately packaged. Is is that a good option? Is that a bad option? And the overall understanding of like the market is at play and like you, you will see what you get and then maybe you have to update and have some other perks. But like this is literally what it is. It's like you have to figure out how to make this work in a business context. Yeah. I mean, we saw that during the pandemic, right? During the pandemic and after employers had to adapt to an extreme degree because it was an employee-driven market, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I think that probably better things came into play during that time that companies were sort of forced into and would have taken a long time. I can't really name one right now because I, I see more platitudes than actual change, but that's fine. But I think that's also a, a reflection of how an imbalance of power in either direction can be uh, problematic. Yeah, because in any area of your life, you're not supposed to have ultimate choice. There will be constraints in everything you do, whether it's your relationships, your living situation. And to walk around believing that that's not true is chaos. And we're seeing it right now in this culture of let's try to be everything to everyone with these vague policies and belief systems that end up just creating more confusion and these weird judgments and moral arguments actually like aren't addressing the problem when really if we focus on the individual things beneath this, we could make a difference. And so we live in this argument about a concept instead of dealing with the actual thing. Thus, this whole thing about it seems like things are changing because people are talking about it more. When you look at the numbers in some, some of these areas, you're not seeing actual change. The thing that I always go back to when I'm coaching new managers or leaders that have just never heard this before and maybe unfortunately have been managed managing for a while is I don't think high performers that you should optimize for happiness. I think you should optimize for engagement. And um, I think sometimes folks get that mixed up and they try to make sure that their team is really happy and really copacetic and really calm. And I think really high performers want 
difficult, meaty challenges that are at the cusp of their ability. And that will make them pissed off while they're chewing on that really hard challenge. I know I'm like that. Like if I'm working at my optimal zone of growth, like right now, I feel like I'm I'm in a period of my life where I'm playing. I am not growing right now. I am playing right now. I don't agree with that. I think you're growing a lot. Okay. Well, maybe I am. Maybe it's just a different type of play. But when I feel like in that, I don't know, corporate strivey, growthy environment, and I have a really difficult challenge in front of me, I do not show up as happy. I show up as frustrated, annoyed, pissed off, determined, determined, gritty, but I, there's not usually a smile on my face. I'm usually coming in swinging and frustrated and that's okay because that's when I've done some of my best work and I've broken through and solved something that again, was at the cusp of my ability. Like I know the educators talk about zone of proximal development. This idea that like growth happens at the edges of something that is almost too difficult for us to do, but not quite too difficult for us to do. And that's where the growth happens. And if you can keep your folks, your people on your team, your high performers specifically in that section, what you're going to get is a high performing, highly motivated team. They just might not look happy all the time. I think that's a really important point, actually. I just wholly agree with it. I actually don't have anything to add. I'm just like, I just agree with you. And also, though, related and specifically to your high performers, but actually, I think anyone, do you really want your boss to bring their whole self? That yeah. is a question you should ask. Do you want your CEO to bring their whole self? Because let me tell you, yeah. can, you can't even imagine what that whole self. And in fact, most of the CEOs that I struggled working with were like bringing to themselves. It made me feel horrible. And so I was like, can you bring less and actually don't even be here at all? Like I would be happier if you weren't. So I think. Okay, wait, that's really interesting because I've had conversations with a few folks recently exploring this topic of this miscommunication between CEOs and heads of marketing. And the thing that we keep going back to is mismanaged stress of being a founder slash CEO and feeling all of the stress of what it's like to own or to run a company can manifest itself as thrashy behavior because it's not well-managed and well-placed and well-absorbed stress. So this idea of like, I am feeling stressed, let me come into this meeting and just like, bring too much of myself is the part of the reason that there's a lot of this thrashing. And so I think that's an I've been interesting guilty of that point as a leader, like absolutely uh, stress owned me and I came to work and there was never a positive reaction and it should, there shouldn't have been, right? I mean, it's why I advise all the CEOs that I advise. I'm like, your number one job is to make sure you're okay. And I know that sounds intuitive and selfish, but it's actually not because one of the most important lessons my coach told, taught me was Cecilia Landhold. She's the best. She said, the team feels everything you feel, whether you understand that or believe that or not, it happen- it's happening. And so you need to make sure that you're okay. And it doesn't mean you're happy all the time, but it's like you need to sort of fundamentally be okay so that you can bring your best self to work. Because mm. guess what? I think leaders need to bring their best selves 
I think workers are on a journey. Like I think when the younger I was in my career, the more I had to learn. And so seeing, you know, Jacqueline Hampton always brought her best self and she became a role model for me. And also called me out when I misbehaved in front of the entire company. So like, thank you, Jacqueline. But I think leaders should bring their best selves and everybody else should have a standard that is uh, with expectations, like an expectation standard that is appropriate and doesn't allow them to say, oh, I was having a bad. It's like, nope, because you you're inviting them to evolve as people. It's not about stifling. It's about inviting them to raise the their bar. Yeah, I think that's a really important nuance. It's not whole self. It's best self because it's just that's good. It's not whole self. self, It's best self. Yeah. And best self, again, the words sort of get us in trouble. Best self doesn't mean like the highest best self you've ever been. Best means best that you have. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. yeah. My connotation in my brain, the way that it's it's working so well right now is like when I was a new mom, my I I would deliver every day the best self that I could. And some days it was not great. Yep. It was some days I would hide the whole self, the whole mess, and I would give the best part of it. And that's why it's reson- like the best self is resonating because it's just the best you have. Like, best you can do. Yeah. Best you can do. If your best self is I need to take some time off to go deal with this huge life event, that's also an appropriate thing to do. Oh, my your best God. self is no self. Here's what's coming up next on Don't Say Content blogs are kind of dead, right? Like, does it need to be written content in an article form and the main distribution channel is search? I don't think so. No one cares about your website. No one cares about your There's a lot of marketers. There's a lot of marketers, including you like six months ago that would have been unwilling to say that publicly because their whole career and company is built around that still working. And yeah, and I think this is the other interesting nuance to this, that whole fight about owned audience and moving off the reliance of platforms because even with us and don't say content are we trying to drive people from these channels to our podcast or are we trying to grow these channels as our own unique business tool to help us grow okay y'all that's a wrap thank you as always for listening we'll be back next week and just remember you're doing great You're doing great. 30% of you are doing great. The rest, you got to get your shit together. Come on. You know, you know which side you're on this week. You know. (laughs) You know. See you next week. Bye. Bye. I literally am wearing a men's sweater that I cut into a crop sweater. I love it. It's like actually, I like the thing at the top. I'm wearing my somebody loves you. Aw.